On behalf of Scott, Forrest, Tess, Sarah, Ryan, and John, that's me. Astonishing Legends would like to wish every single one of you very happy holidays. We're so grateful for your ongoing support of our show and sponsors over the years. Tonight, we'd like to express our gratitude by releasing our first ever holiday special, which is really more of a long-lost episode that perhaps should have stayed lost. Think of it as a holiday greeting card from us to you. Be sure and stay tuned after the closing credits for a special reading of Twas the Night Before Christmas by our very own Forrest Burgess. Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forrest Burgess. Remember, no man is a failure who has friends. Clarence Oddbody, Angel Second Class from the Motion Picture, It's a Wonderful Life. Join us tonight as we take part in the enchanted history of Old St. Nick. can't believe you talked me into this. <laughs> I know. Look, look. I think it's going to be fine. People have to understand the disaster that has befallen us. You mean that's that's you having to edit this mess together. <laughs> exactly. I mean, on that note, I, I should change gears here. It brings us great pleasure to announce that our longtime editor, Sarah, and her husband, Paul, have had a beautiful baby boy named Vaughn. Vaughn came into this world on November 16th, 2019, at a healthy 7 pounds and 11 ounces. Mother, father, and child are now comfortably back at home, not editing. A very heartfelt congratulations to Sarah and Paul, and I'm able to say that in spite of the fact that it means Scott will now have to be editing the show by himself. I can't tell if you're insulting me. Let's just dive into some quick housekeeping since we laid most of this show down so long ago. Uh, first things first, congratulations to those of you who scored the matched collector sets of our glasses designed by artist David Spencer from Mischief Factory. Uh, you should have those by now, complete with certificates of authenticity. I cannot believe how quickly they sold out on Black Friday. That was supposed to be a four-day sale. All that stuff was gone in like an hour. So thank you very much, and I uh, hope you enjoy them. Uh, last thing, before we try to unravel this mess of a show, by the way, that is... Oh, no, hold of... on, hold on. I mean, really, to be fair, it, it actually starts off okay. I'll say that for it. We just wanted to let everyone know how much you all mean to us. And this episode is meant to express that gratitude. We can hardly believe Astonishing Legends... I just turned five years old this past October and has over 67 million downloads now. Quite honestly, it is extremely humbling. It is, but without you, no us. So thank you so much for joining us tonight, as you've done for nearly 170 episodes, if you're one of our long timers. And if you're new, welcome to our house. We hope you find it warm, welcoming, and interesting. So when did we record this? Well, supposedly it was several years ago, but I have to say it does feel like only yesterday. Yeah, really, specifically, it really actually just feels like last week. Perhaps it does. <laughs> Let's just mm -hmm. cozy up by the fire and enjoy this partially edited holiday episode. Every year, a new legend is added to the catalog of Christmas fables. Some are adorned in humor and jubilation. Others are wrapped in darkness and ghostly visions. 
However, they do have certain fundamental ingredients in common with one another. A pinch of expectation, a dash of disappointment, followed by a heap of doubt. Then equal parts magic and delight. This Christmas tale is no exception. Welcome to the Lost Christmas Eve episode of the Astonishing Legends podcast. There, you want some levels? All right, here we go. Uh, testing, testing one, two, three, test fivefold. Test fivefold, test fivefold. Test fivefold. <laughs> that gives yes. us good luck. It does give us good luck. Um, all right, so th- that's good. We need to get going, man. All right. Um, all right. What, um, hang on a second. I'm hearing a little echo, just making an adjustment here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, give me a, give me a what bit of your open. Let's okay. see how it sounds. All right, there we go. Just, uh, just warming up here, though. All right. Yeah. Twas the night before Christmas, and although the house... Wait, hold on. That that you got a typo here. She's all through. Should say all through oh, the yeah, house. Oh yeah, not although the house. Yeah, yeah all through all right. the house. Let's fix that. Everybody Let's knows that. this poem here. Compression seems weird to me, but I, Sarah, I think Sarah can deal with it. Uh, we got enough problems here. Well, um, well, isn't that true? So, all right. Well, speaking of yeah. which, when is your when's your family coming into town? Uh, that's the thing, and and you got to remind me while we're recording. Yeah. By the way, because if I sound if I don't sound chipper enough, I'm a, a little concerned. They they were supposed to be here already, like uh, a couple of hours ago. Uh-huh. Uh, but there's I, I don't know if you saw the news today, but there's a snowstorm. That's like bearing down on Chicago, well, that, and their flight from Raleigh is is delayed. I guess. Well, that's like every holiday season you get that. So they're still stuck in North Carolina. No, they they got out of Raleigh, but they missed their connecting flight in Denver. So I think they're boarding their new flight like right now. Yeah. Here's here's something exciting. I can see that there's a lot of calls coming in. Um. The 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 downside is I yeah. I don't know how to work this. All thing. right. Let's. Uh... Let's start from the beginning, and uh, why don't you plug the cord in? No, the cord is there. plugged in. I just, I still haven't looked at the instructions for this app, so I'm I'm not sure how to switch between calls I, or whatever. I see. That's your excuse. Right. Very good. All right, here we go. And five, four, three. <clears throat> Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. Today, just about everyone recognizes those familiar words as the first stanza of The Night Before Christmas, originally titled A Visit from St. Nick. Arguably, it is one of the most well-known poems written by an American. The poem was composed by Samuel Clark Clement in 1847, who, with his quill pen, forever turned a popular medieval bishop and saint into a jolly old elf. Our story begins in 3rd century Turkey, under the Roman Empire. There, in the ancient Mediterranean seaport of Patara, a child is born to wealthy parents. His name is Nicholas. Nicholas seemed destined to be a holy figure. As a baby, legend has it that on fasting days, Baby Nicholas refused to take his mother's breast until midnight. By age 30, Nicholas had become a priest. At that time, the outgoing Bishop of Myra had a vision. Inside the entryway of the local diocese, a mysterious, illuminating figure appeared. The angelic figure commanded, The next person to enter the diocese will be named Nicholas. He will be the new Bishop of Myra. There was no doubt who the angel spoke of. Stories of Nicholas's generosity became legendary, beginning with the tale of a man too poor to have a dowry for his daughters. The situation was so hopeless, his daughters may be forced into slavery to survive. 
One night, in secret, Bishop Nicholas slipped a few bags of gold through the poor man's window, saving his daughters from a life of misery. Illustrations of this act depicted St. Nicholas dropping the bags into the open chimney, falling into the stockings hung by the fire. Stories like this made Bishop Nicholas the most beloved bishop throughout the medieval land. These accounts of secret gift-giving after nightfall gave way to tales of miracles. An evil innkeeper had kidnapped and murdered three small children during a famine, placing their remains in pickle barrels. St. Nicholas appeared and commanded that the children rise from the dead and come out of the pickle barrels and return home. They did. The earliest miracle attributed to St. Nicholas was when he came upon a woman with a withered hand. He approached the woman, laid his hand on her, prayed to God. The hand was miraculously rejuvenated. In other versions of this event, it is a burned child that received the healing gift from St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas passed away on December 6, 343 AD. It is said that his tomb seeped a strange, viscous liquid that smelled of frankincense, myrrh, and other spices associated with the divine. December 6th became known as St. Nicholas Day, a time of feasts and celebrations, gift-giving and generosity. In observation of St. Nicholas's late-night offerings to those in need, children especially loved finding the small gifts of candy and fruit in their stockings or shoes from St. Nick. It is a curious fact that there is no official canonization date for St. Nicholas. His sainthood predates the official canonization procedures of the Roman Catholic Church beginning in the late 10th century. However, there is no doubt in the authenticity of his place among the departed. As much as the bishop's generosity and advocacy for those less fortunate were formative, it would be the Dutch sailors who would carry his spirit to Europe and the New World. The mariners had a special relationship with Nicholas as the patron saint of sailors and merchants and carried his stories to ports, along coasts, and up rivers throughout the known world that would rescue his legacy from Europe. Well, the, the, oh, what, I'm sorry. <laughs> what, you're killing me! What no, are you no, doing? no, I'm sorry. I'm that totally should be on mute. No, this just, it's already too long of a history lesson. Hang on, it's Emily. Hang uh, on. All right. Hello? Hey, what, what's up? What flight? The, the new flight? Uh, okay, okay. They said in an hour from now. All right, cool. Okay, sweetie. Love you too. Um, yeah. All right. What, uh, what was up with that? Yeah. Uh, delayed, but ah. it's just an hour. It, it could be worse. Um, honestly, another hour might give us time to get through your history lesson there. <laughs> I don't know if that's enough, <laughs> frankly. Well, uh, all yeah. right. Well, I do. No, I do need to go back because I, I skipped the whole Council of Nicene event oh, which i think is important you're kidding me you skipped something yeah you didn't you didn't read through the whole thing did you so <laughs> it's an extra page sit tight soon we will return to the lost christmas eve episode of the astonishing legends podcast happy holidays from grand rapids michigan this is dad lovecraft saying i'm full of spiders a very merry christmas to astonishing legends from Mali in Brisbane, Australia. This is Dustin from the chillingly cold city of Chicago, wishing you all a happy Yule. Hi, I'm Kristen from Georgia, and Astonishing Legends makes the season bright. This is Grace from Valdosta, Georgia. Yeah, there, Kishmish. Merry Christmas from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, from Jesse B. And remember that everything is connected. 
This is Susan Kamen from St. Louis, Missouri, wishing the Astonishing Legends audience a happy holiday. Hi, this is Cecilia from Texas. Happy holiday to Craig and my little baby Bean. Hey, this is Tony Merkel from the Confessionals Podcast, and I want to wish Scott and Forrest a Merry Christmas. Welcome back to our special presentation, the Lost Christmas Eve episode of the Astonishing Legends podcast. Okay, man, you about you about ready to get going? No, again no, no, here? Hold on, I gotta get the. Uh, it's the getting late. Stopper. Hang on one second. I just, yeah, I'm looking at a web page. I'm trying to find some links. I'm trying to find um, like some kind of tutorial about this uh, call app. Yeah, this call, you're not. Sorry, finding I hear anything. myself echoing. I hear myself echoing. Yeah, you're looking online, right? You're not you're not finding anything. Yeah, yeah. No, the problem is there's a ton of it's like that thing where there's like 50 billion of them oh, and yeah. you know, you click on the YouTube video that's supposed to show you how to run the app <laughs> and the first 15 <laughs> minutes of it are the guy talking about this is a video that no, the will show you how to turn. <laughs> like, the, no, I like, love I don't it have time a, for that. Yeah, it's a it's a twelve. So year I'm old like, kid. if it's if it's more than two minutes, I don't even click on it. Right, like because it's I just need a little help. I don't need the whole like whatever. Anyway, all right. Well, let, let's figure um, let, let's figure this out. So so who starts here? Do I do it or or you do? Yeah, no, we need to. We should go ahead and go. Okay. I do, but I am going to have to figure the app, the app out before we do start doing the calls. All right. So because again, we we don't have Jody, so we we're screening it ourselves. <laughs> all right. Um. Anyway, okay, so let's do this history stuff. Yeah. Why don't you why don't you kick this off or whatever? I'm in the outline too. Yeah, all right. This section is going to cover how Santa Claus, Saint Nicholas, has gone from Saint to Santa. There's a few things that have always carried through. One, he's beloved by the whole world. He's one of those characters that uh everyone has loved this man. And this is what I noticed from the beginning in the early legends, is that no matter what his real origins are, who he who he was, you're looking at an archetypical, really decent guy. And that leads to his sainthood there. But he has some charitable acts as well as doing the right thing. So that's where the character starts. And he, he actually became one of the most popular saints in Europe for being this writer of wrongs and the protector of the innocent. And he had more churches dedicated to himself, St. Nicholas, than all of the apostles. Yeah, and you know, the other thing that's fascinating to me about it too, and and we'll talk about this a little bit as we go on here, is that he started out both as benevolent, I mean, always benevolent, but he also brought right. punishment initially. There was an idea of kids being punished if they were naughty and all that, which stretches back to, I think, when you go way back in time to parents just being like, we need to tell this little jerk that there's something in the, you know, going to come get him if he keeps doing this stuff. No, he's a he's a handy tool. He, you know, <laughs> we did the Krampus uh, story a long yeah, time ago. Yeah, that was episode seven. Years. That was our seventh show. Can you believe that? Yeah. It just happened to fall on Christmas around that yeah. time. So we yeah. thought like, well, here's a kind of a twisted story. And then you realize that, well, it's really tied into the story of St. Nicholas. But in all of that, what you realize is that the story of St. Nicholas is a handy tool for parents to use with unruly children. Yeah. And that even carries to the Americas. But one thing I want to say is before people start correcting us, yes, St. Nick was not beloved by everybody for their various reasons. And we're going to get to that. But he starts off that way. No one has a complaint about this guy. And as he morphs into St. Nicholas and Kris Kringle and all of his other names, Santa Claus. Yes, and for Dutch sailors, he was actually known as Sinterklaas, which yeah. was a nickname 
for his Dutch name of St. Nicholas. Yeah. You may remember that New York started out primarily Dutch, and there's a connection there that we're going to be getting to in a little bit, but it's pretty fascinating. Oh, and by the way, I also want to mention a really amazing documentary that's narrated by David Attenborough called yeah. The Legends of Santa. So look for that online. I'm pretty sure you can find it online and uh, watch it because it's it's really, really fascinating. It's very enthralling about Santa from all over the world. And, yeah. and we used it as a research source for, uh, for this episode. So. Yeah, but you can't go wrong with anything narrated by Sir David Attenborough. No, not, no. It's just <laughs> so great. He's, he's right up there with Werner Herzog. It sets a tone. No, it's it's really well done. It's you could say, uh, or as I call it, PBS quality. So uh, that was a great one to go by. But start us off a little bit about his appearance. That's not always been the same, right? Yeah, this is interesting. St. Nicholas was actually often depicted with a robe or a cloak and having white hair and a white beard. At least that's how right. we know him. But that depiction goes back a long, long time, even all the way back to the Norse god of Odin. So there's yeah. when you think about these traditions and how long they've been around, you have to look at all the variations. And the interesting thing, too, what you'll see unfolding here as we talk about this is how those things splintered out and spread out all over the world, which is really fascinating. Well, one of the first major influences were a few nuns, and these would be 12th century French nuns, where they were helping out the less fortunate with candies and nuts and maybe bits of meat, things they could not afford. So it's the same beginning as an act of charity here. But before that, in the 9th century, Nicholas was canonized by the Roman Catholic Church, hence the name Saint Nicholas. And since the celebration of Christmas came after the life of Saint Nicholas, he actually preceded Christmas as we know it today. So in honor of St. Nicholas, French nuns in the 12th century began making their annual nighttime visits to these poor families, especially ones with children, and they would leave fruit and nuts, you know, again, things that these families would not be able to snack on, things they could not afford. But on the flip side of that, legend has it that Children that were known to the nuns, and of course, you know, in these small villages, they know who's doing what. They know everybody. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> these children who are not, uh, shall we say, angelic, they were known for being problematic. These kids were left pieces of coal, or worse, they got the switch. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about a switch from a tree meant to be used on your backside. Yeah, we're talking uh, about capital punishment, baby. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's been They that don't do that way. anymore. We, we can't even talk about it now. No, but it's been, you know, since the beginning of humans up until right now. So, yes. <laughs> well, as I said at the top of the show, this was a handy tool for the parents. And as traditions began to form, these children were starting to believe that this was the spirit of St. Nicholas all along, that he was omniscient. He could see everything. The nuns made their gift-giving rounds on what became known as St. Nicholas Eve. This was on December 5th, and the tradition spread throughout the Old World and across the ocean to the New World. And for several hundred years, St. Nicholas was the unchallenged bringer of gifts, and the toast of celebrations centered around his feast day, December 6th. Now, the strict saint took on some aspects of earlier European deities, like the Roman Saturn or the Norse Odin, as I mentioned earlier, who appeared as white-bearded men and had magical powers like flight. Now, during the Protestant Reformation, or the European Reformation, just sometimes known as just the Reformation, this is the notorious movement within Western Christianity, specifically in the 16th century, that posed a religious as well as a political challenge to the Roman Catholic Church. And the Reformation is considered to have begun with the publication of the 95 Theses by Martin Luther 
1517. So now we're getting to a point where it's Santa versus the Church of England. St. Nicholas was a larger-than-life figure through the Middle Ages. His association with Christmas, gift-giving, parties, and feasts were sealed into the hearts and minds of the populace throughout Europe. But everywhere Protestantism reigned by order of the Reformation, any celebrations of Catholic symbols were banned and outlawed. The problem with that is, although many had been on board with the Reformation, the popularity of the celebrations at this time were a major obstacle. Uh, Throughout the Netherlands, for example, St. Nicholas was too much a part of their culture to be tossed aside. The patron saint of boating and sailing would not be so easily dismissed. I bet you didn't know that. St. Nicholas is the patron saint of boating and sailing. Uh, And additionally, still originally of children as well, because you go back to what you had mentioned in the cold open about the butcher who killed the three children during a famine who he resurrected. So... That was part of his appeal, is that he's the patron saint of so many things, also of prisoners, himself having been prisoner uh, during, I believe, the reign of Diocletian, where Christianity was being oppressed. Back then, he wasn't all fun and laughs. He was he was a strong fighter and very much uh, strong-willed, and he would rather go to jail than renounce his faith. So yeah. he himself was a prisoner for quite a while. By the way, anyone who listens to our show, and I can't remember which episodes now they were, but there's there's been a couple of episodes. I feel like it might have been when we talked about Castle Holska, maybe even way back when, when we did the Krampus show. But the thing is, when you're trying to convert an entire population from one belief system to another, you got to let them bring something along or they're not even going to put their foot in the door. And that's part of that, how these traditions wind up overlapping and getting intertwined between different cultures in the world, which is really fascinating. And it's had a fascinating effect on who Santa Claus or St. Nicholas is and was. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point because the story of St. Nicholas and in morphing into Santa Claus and, and his various regional and cultural personifications is that you can't keep the man down. (laughs) And as much as you try to suppress the idea of him, he pops up again. This is another funny irony here. One of his greatest uh, opponents, Santa Claus, was the church. Martin Luther, he accidentally saved Santa (laughs) when he was trying to put him down. And in a way, he creates Christmas. So Martin Luther, he was a great marketer, if anything else. He recognized that the Protestant church was losing this battle against the very popular celebrations surrounding St. Nicholas, a lot of them with pagan roots. Adults, they love these parties, of course. It was known as an outdoor rowdy affair with a lot of booze, and the kids loved the gifts. So life, as we've often mentioned on the show, was really, really hard back then. You didn't have much to look forward to. And this was something at the end of the year where those things were turned upside down. The peasants could command the gentry at some point. They could enter noble people's houses and demand food and drink. And if they didn't get it, they played a prank on them. Sound familiar? A little bit like trick or treat. Yeah, very much. (laughs) And it's it's around the same end of the year time. And Martin Luther, he couldn't support the celebration of saints because he thought it was against the scripture. And I, I get that because that goes along with his line of thinking and his scholarship. But There had to be some give here. So in Germany, you have to take that away then from St. Nicholas and move it back towards Christ. And so what do you do? Well, the idea was, okay, if it's about the birthday of Christ, let's make the focus of this holiday the Christ child, or in Germany, the Christkind. I hope I'm saying that right. I only learned German through this show, so (laughs) please forgive me here. But there's a problem with that because... 
how many gifts really can the baby Jesus juggle? Right. And <laughs> in, in those cute little arms of his. <laughs> it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, especially him traveling around. So, I mean, there are, there are some ties to logic as, as much as Santa Claus doesn't make sense to a lot of adults. Uh, certainly it does with kids, and kids are going to go like, well, wait, I can hold maybe one or two gifts, so how is that happening? So Yes, now let's uh, not look behind the curtain. So what Martin Luther did, what his compromise was, would be in the form of this winged baby Jesus, and baby Jesus would not come on the eve of St. Nicholas Day, but instead on the eve of his birthday, which was decided for ease of everyone at that time to be on December 25th. And by 1840, the name had become Chris Kringle. See how that Gets morphed there. Yes. Chris Kin. Yeah. Chris Pringle. <laughs> yeah. So another interpretation of the name means Secret Santa. We all know that from our office parties, right? Yes, indeed. Well, this was a major influence on moving gift giving to the 25th of December, but it did little to stop the popularity of old Saint Nick. So what's interesting here is that, again, he's unstoppable. The idea of Saint Nicholas is unstoppable. Doesn't matter how you uh, dress him up or what day you put him on. To celebrate him, he's going to be celebrated. You can't kill an idea. Exactly. So another interesting thing was the influence of the Christmas tree. This was another German invention here. Martin Luther was walking home one winter evening, and he was awed by the brilliance of stars twinkling amidst the evergreens around him. And he was so moved by the sight that he erected a tree in his main room, and he wired its branches with lighted candles, which... Great-grandparents used to do that. I don't know if you know that, Scott, but they used to put candles on a really dry tree, and then you stick it in your house and hope nothing bad happens. Yeah. So a long time ago, I had this friend who's from Germany, and she was living in Freiburg at the time. And I'm not, I might be getting this wrong because it's kind of off the cuff, but she sent me a postcard and said, this is the first town square Christmas tree. I think it was in Freiburg, but the funny thing that I remember certainly about it was that According to legend and tradition, it was decorated with golden potatoes, which she also found pretty funny. So there, there you go. Can't little safer. I don't know what you're coating the the potatoes in with with gold, maybe real gold. But didn't we cover also? It wasn't Freiburg where the like some Mothman type creature came out of a mine yes, or did. something. <laughs> yeah, okay. Just... It's a really cool town. There's a university there, uh, Albert, so and so. I'm all set to win the weirdest game of Trivial Pursuit of all time based <laughs> on not... our, our, our the stuff we've covered yeah, over the years. That was uh... the questions that will never get asked. Exactly. Well, how often does the the Nazi bell come up in in a, in a Chris Kringle story? Yeah, that's when we talked yeah. about it. it. Was during the Nazi bell. Yeah. So that was. Uh, that era in basically decorating a tree, but a lot of people will say the holly branches, having the tree, all this bringing of greenery inside and decorating with it, the boughs of holly in England and all throughout Northern Europe. Well, this is not so much just because it, it looks nice and it smells good. It's a bit of Druidism. It's a bit of paganism that was allowed yeah. to blend with these Christian ideals. And again, it's a really smart piece of marketing to like, okay, you can have your fun. You just got to do these few things. So if you do those, you can still have your fun. We can blend the two. Everybody can be happy. And that mostly worked. So here's another good example of this war on Christmas. I know a lot of people reading social media today think it's a new thing with our era, but it's not. <laughs> In some form or another, there's been a battle against the various facets throughout history of Christmas and Santa Claus and Santa Claus and Kris Kringle and all these people. Somebody's not going to dig what he's leaving behind in your stocking, okay? One of these guys, Sir Oliver Cromwell. Now, we covered him a little bit, remember, in Loftus Hall. That's right. And all the brutal war that was going on during that period. 
This was also, of course, happening not just in Ireland, but in England. And Oliver Cromwell, being at the forefront of enforcing Puritan ideals, is butting heads against Catholicism. And they're in one camp, and Puritanism, on the other hand, is not happy with some of these Catholic ideals and just anything Catholic. <laughs> and he's in charge. So he's the head of state. He's the head of government. Uh, you heard of his army, of course, that we talked about before. In 1652, England, Christmas and any celebration of any other saint holiday is outlawed. And in 1659, this is interesting, the Massachusetts legislature finds anyone caught celebrating Christmas by giving him a five shillings fine. The Puritans of America, who who left England, they were battling uh, culturally with the Puritans of England, and who could be more Puritan? Ah, well, that does not sound <laughs> hey, like a fun battle. <laughs> but not all of the American settlements thought this way, because they're not made up of the same types of people coming from Western Europe. And in Jamestown, they continue to celebrate Christmas. In fact, Captain John Smith, the leader of Jamestown, wrote, quote, the first New World Christmas was kept with plenty of good raw oysters, wild fowl, and good bread, end quote. And maybe this diet was why they had trouble taking off as a really solid colony <laughs> at first with just nothing but raw oysters. And, yeah, they didn't uh, know about the months you're not supposed to eat the oysters, right? There's certain months you're not supposed to eat. I know, it, it, it's probably <laughs> the same with uh, the rotting wild fowl that you've been left hanging uh, to get real pungent and, and tasty. But what yeah. I will tell you is a meal like that will probably cost you $80 in some hipster restaurant now with all the yeah. artisan breads and uh, the, the Japanese imported oysters and all that kind of stuff. But so that goes to show you there that different areas in the New World in North America, they didn't all fall in line with the same things, but those are the natural trends. And the important point to remember here is that Christmas is certainly not celebrated then like it is now. They didn't have a concept of that. They had their right. own small traditions that were carried over from Europe, which makes sense. They were also, in Jamestown, uh, the first people to drink eggnog. How about that? Or grog. Or grog. Right. right. Yes. Anything having, uh, I, I think that was used with rum, would be a yes. grog. And so that name kind of transpired to eggnog. Too much of that can leave you feeling groggy. I think that's where that comes from, isn't it? I'm yeah. going to say that it, even though I didn't look it up at all, I'm just going to go ahead and say that. That sounds like a... Uh, well, I'm what, sure now that, uh, yeah. that will lead to several emails explaining that they are, in fact, <laughs> or I couldn't be more wrong. Either way, I disavow that I actually said it. I see. Well, <laughs> what I, again, what I can tell you is uh, uh, an old-fashioned grog, artisan grog will now cost you probably $15 at some hipster bar. At a but speakeasy. The, yes. The idea, though. you can't find yeah. in a brick wall. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> again, well, there you, there you go. So after the revolution, America really reinvented Christmas, not only for itself, but ultimately it would be for the whole world. Yeah. Ironically or weirdly, we have our version of Christmas, and that gets exported, and then imported back to Europe. Yeah, it's a, it becomes a whole big melting pot of, of Santa Clauses, really, if you think about it. <laughs> mm, but definitely. you have to remember, though, when independence was first declared in America, all things English were completely out of fashion. The whole idea was, hey, we're not going to do that. We're doing our own thing over here. We don't want to have those traditions going on here. In fact, Congress actually would be in session on December 25th of the year. And this went on for well over half a century. But 
that got to be a problem for the inhabitants of America. They're like, wait, wait, how can we not have holidays? We have to have some holidays. We don't have any holidays. What, what is that about? We're all working. It's ridiculous. So they all decided that they wanted to find some official days that they could celebrate. Well, here's another interesting fact that I, I didn't totally wrap my head around until we started researching this, and that is New York City has a lot to do with forming what we think of as our contemporary Christmas. The state, the people in it, writers and poets and a cartoonist. And this is what we're talking about here. In the 1820s, New York was the center of American commerce. Like any place else, it had haves and have-nots. And this social economic turmoil began to mimic what was going on in the turbulent times in England. And Christmas, especially as we said before, was a time of class upheaval not goodwill towards men. As I said before, with some other pagan and pre-Christian celebrations, that class structure would be flipped upside down for one day, where the the peasant becomes the king. They can tell the, the gentry what to do. And now, though, you're not seeing a fun part of that celebration where it's crazy reverso day, upside down day. What you're seeing now are the wealthier middle class and upper class, the haves, and all the working class. And if you know anything about England in the 1820s to the 1840s and 1850s, Charles Dickens' time, not a good time to be poor. It never is, yeah. really. But especially really miserable during these times. So what you had in 1820s New York mirrored a little bit of what was going on in some parts of Western Europe and especially in England. So very early formative years for New York State and for the nation of America and some writers and artists were very influential, and one of those being Washington Irving. He was a best-selling American writer and diplomat of the early 19th century, who is best known for his short stories, Rip Van Winkle, which was published in 1819, and of course, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, published in 1820. Yeah. we Actually, I just appeared on a, a Vanished podcast, and they did a whole thing of that legend. And you realize yeah, at the Hollow. time, like a lot of people were reading that he was, he was very popular. You didn't have blockbusters like that back then. Well, in March of 1822, Irving published Bracebridge Hall. And these were stories of the members of the Bracebridge family centered around extravagant Christmas celebrations when all classes experienced tidings of good cheer. Yeah, so just 21 years later, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol comes yeah. out. And of course, we all know the images from that. Everybody is familiar with A Christmas Carol. I actually, I grew up in North Carolina going to see a very famous production of it in Raleigh every year, <laughs> which is still going on. And it's led by Ira David Wood uh -huh. and now his son as well. They take turns performing in it. He is Evan Rachel Wood's dad, believe it or oh. not. Oh, <laughs> that's fun. Yeah. It's a classic ghost story. Yeah, it's, it really it's, is. That's what it is. It's a ghost story at yeah. its heart. You're right. It outlines just the misery of the mechanical age bringing upon the lower classes and just the, the toil and, and the work. And then you have the haves like Ebenezer Scrooge, who doesn't affect him. His eyes are cast downward like Jacob Marley, and they don't pay attention to their fellow man. That was the idea, the purpose behind this story. But how did this tie in with Dickens and the, the reevaluating of past Christmas traditions? Well, that's what the British were doing at this point, and they were looking back at uh, carols and then newer customs, such as Christmas trees. Mm -hmm. And Dickens himself was influenced by the experiences of his own youth 
and by the Christmas stories of other authors, including Washington Irving, who yeah. preceded him, because that was what influenced him as a kid. Like we all do. We all look back, and filmmakers do it now. The movies yeah. that they grew up being inspired by, they make that movie. And so that's how creative culture moves through the ages. So it's Yeah, it's only 20 years later, too. Yeah. And the thing about A Christmas Carol is it's a tale that talks about the lack of morality of the upper class, and it triumphed charity and family mm-hmm. and the important values that people get away from. And that's why it's a perfect thing to come around every year, just to remind you about what is right and what is good, I think. It's, it's a good way to look at things, regardless of whatever your holiday traditions are. Everyone can find something in the story of A Christmas Carol. Yeah. So not too long after this, Queen Victoria marries Prince Albert. And at this point, the Christmas tree is starting to become pretty fashionable. If you look at these uh, graphics, and we have a link to this in our show notes from the Illustrated London News, Cassell's Magazine, you began to see and hear about what the royal Christmas trees looked like in 1845. Now, unlike the previous royal family, Victoria was very popular with her subjects, and what was done at court immediately became fashionable, not just in Britain, but with fashion-conscious East Coast American society. Washington Irving actually wrote in Christmas Eve, uh, this is from his uh, the sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon, Gent, quote, Here were kept up the old games of hoodman blind, shoe the wild mare, hot cockles, steal the white loaf, bob apple, and snapdragon. <laughs> the yule clog and Christmas candle were regularly burnt, and the mistletoe with its white berries hung up to the imminent peril of all the pretty housemaids, oh, end quote. Yeah. Yeah, it's very nice. What I can tell you is that every one of these terms is is something awful on the Urban Dictionary. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> don't look it up, folks. Don't go there. Yeah. Yeah, before we get completely derailed, uh, Irving relates the typical festivities surrounding the 12 days of Christmas include kissing under the mistletoe. He continues with a footnote, quote, the mistletoe is still hung up in farmhouses and kitchens at Christmas, and the young men have the privilege of kissing the girls under it, plucking each time a berry from the bush. When the berries are all plucked, the privilege ceases, end quote. Hmm. It's pretty fascinating. I mean, Irving is at the root of all of this, all of the modern traditions when you look back right. at it. Some very influential people who had, uh, who were media creators back in the day could set the tone and did for a whole nation. So when you look at the big picture of all this, this is what's forming and creating the perfect environment for Santa Claus to become part of not only America, but the world in a new way that he hasn't before. Christmas is coming back in fashion, and that is really setting the stage. Now, after the Reformation, devotion to Nicholas disappeared in all the Protestant countries of Europe, except Holland, where his legend did persist as Sinterklaas, which, as we said before, is a Dutch variant of the name St. Nicholas. Dutch colonists took this tradition with them to New Amsterdam, which I'm sure a lot of you know was the original name of New York City in the American colonies in the 17th century. The Dutch mariners who populated New York never let go of their hero, St. Nicholas. A little bit earlier, we mentioned Clement Moore, or Clement Clark Moore, who first published anonymously in 1823 a poem that he wrote for his children. There are some folks out there that argue that Moore did not write this story, which is the kind of thing we come across all the time in Astonishing Legends. There's always some person attached to a legend, and if there is a person attached rightfully or wrongfully, there's always a huge group of people that say, no, it's not that guy. So, (laughs) and I'm not saying we didn't dig down on that, but that's just something to keep in mind. Some people think that he was largely influenced 
by Washington Irving, the right. more popular author of the day. And Clement Moore was a really rich guy who you're wondering, people are looking at his motivations, like why would he do that? Why did he do it anonymously at first? Why did he own up to it later? Well, Clement Moore, he comes from a very notable family of the clergy. His father, I believe, was the bishop, the Episcopal bishop of, of New York at the time. He himself was a clergyman and noted scholar. So he thought it was maybe too silly for something to attach his name to. But again, people have looked at his writing style of his other his other pieces and how this was framed. And, you know, the story was that he wrote it for his six children just for something fun. It appeared in a newspaper of the region that was very small, but you could say it went viral. Which is a way harder thing to do back then. I mean, <laughs> granted, you're yeah. dealing with a smaller group, so it's easier to propagate out. But in the other way, it's harder to get a message out to a lot of people. And that's really the truth. It did go viral. The poem has been called, quote, arguably the best-known verses ever written by an American, end quote. And it is largely responsible for the modern conceptions of Santa Claus. You'll see how it really sets the stage for everything that we currently know about Santa. And it has had a massive impact on the history of Christmas gift-giving. His inspiration for the character of St. Nicholas was a local Dutch handyman, as well as the historical version of St. Nicholas. And Clark was inspired by the Dutch stories of Sinterklaas and St. Nicholas celebrations. Moore's conception of St. Nicholas was borrowed from his friend Washington Irving, mm -hmm. but Moore portrayed his jolly old elf as arriving on Christmas Eve rather than Christmas Day. So this still really all comes back to Twas the Night Before Christmas. Right. And like, for example, the idea that the father of the family watches Santa fill the stockings hanging by the fireplace and he laughs to himself and they share a conspiratorial moment before Santa zips up the chimney again and as he flies away, wishing a happy Christmas to all and to all a good night. Well, now we're getting down to the actual appearance of Santa and how that got modernized. And that ties back to a cartoonist named Thomas Nast, who was the first person to visualize St. Nicholas as Santa. He was a German-born American caricaturist and editorial cartoonist who often has been considered to be the father of the American cartoon. He's also remembered because he created, this is the guy that created the iconic drawings that are still with us of the Republican elephant and the Democratic donkey and Uncle Sam. Now, before Nast, St. Nicholas was depicted as all types of men and even creatures. But in 1881, Nast illustrated Twas the Night Before Christmas for Harper's Weekly. At that point, as described in the poem, St. Nicholas actually becomes a jolly old elf. And I think, though, that he wasn't full-sized human. He was still kind of not, diminutive. Yes, not initially. And no, in, in parts of the world, and there's other traditions where, again, we looked at so many different traditions. There was one tradition where he was like 18 inches tall, had to stand on a chair to put stuff in the stockings. Right. I can't right. remember where that was, but like, <laughs> it's just amazing well, when you yeah, look at it. That's more go jolly goblin, jolly elf. That's more fey folk. Yes. That's more mystical. And it, it depends on how you want to look at it or what your traditions are. But here in America, by golly, we start our own new ones. And this one was right. started by a really influential illustrator. And I find this fascinating, too. The idea of the red coat. Well, you can go back to the days of the Bishop of Myra, St. Nicholas, and the idea that a bishop's coat was traditionally red or their garments were red. 
much as you might see today in the Roman Catholic tradition or back then in the Greek Orthodox tradition. But here for the United States, some of the thinking is that, well, he had different vestments on him. So you see what Santa is wearing as we know him having been changed because now he's being drawn not with uh, some of these robes or more, you could say, uh, ecclesiastical or religious garments. He's more wearing the rough, furry kind of garments that were seen in Germany and Northern Europe and maybe being more pagan. Who are the guys in Germany wearing the, the large bundles of twigs? Oh, the the butt mandels. I'm probably yeah. not saying that right. Boot mandel, butt mandel. Those, are the, those costumes are amazing. Yeah, I think your friend George was in uh, Berchtesgarden? Berchtesgarden. Berchtesgarden, yes. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Oh, and, and another thing that I thought was interesting in the Attenborough documentary was that there was a historian in there, and forgive me because I can't remember her name, but one of the things that she mentioned was that that ink showed him originally dressed in brown, but that the ink colors and the coloring done in subsequent printings was not super accurate, and it, it drifted towards red, and that's thought to be one of the reasons that it got red. So now we're venturing into modern Santa Claus iconic status here. And what do you think of when you think of old-fashioned Santa Claus, Scott? I'm, I'm sure it's the same thing that I think of. The rosy-cheeked uh, guy yeah. who looks a little, he looks vintage, right? Yes. Well, guess where that came from? The Coca-Cola Company. In 1931, Haddon Sundblom, he was a commercial artist and he specialized in advertising for the Coca-Cola Company. He came up with this iconic illustration of Santa, which if you think of any vintage film now... Ah, hang on a second, I just got a text. Oh, they're leaving. You know, no, it's it's canceled. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, no. Okay. Um, uh, we got to keep going, though. You know, yeah. that, that discussion was good, so let me call her, and uh, we'll see what the plan is. Then we'll get into our calls, because people are on hold. All right, copy that. A dreadful wintertide storm is causing havoc for Christmas Eve travelers from coast to coast. Scott's wife, Emily, and their young son sit in a crowded airport terminal, hoping misfortune will pass them by. However, with each passing hour, the reality of a Christmas spent in anonymity in a cold airport concourse becomes more real. Sit tight. We will return shortly to the Lost Christmas Eve special of the Astonishing Legends podcast. Yo soy Jasmine Grant de Cleveland, Texas, y le deseo a todos una feliz Navidad. Legenders, legenders, happy holidays. Hey, fellow legenders, happy holidays from Lisa Fay in Bloomington, Indiana. Buon Natale from Rosanna. Seasons Greasons from Kylie in Ohio. Hi, this is Pam wishing Forrest and Scott, their families, and my fellow legenders an astonishing holiday season. Happy holidays, everyone. Fra Captain Nemo, Opolo Kate, e Buffalo, New York. From Lorain County in Ohio, Merry Christmas from the Coppers. Welcome back to our special presentation, the Lost Christmas Eve special of the Astonishing Legends podcast. Although a winter storm over Chicago has caused the original connecting flight to be canceled, Scott has received good news. His family is scheduled to board a new flight leaving within the hour. Scott is anxiously awaiting word that his wife and young son are finally on their way home to Los Angeles, just in time for Christmas Eve dinner.
Okay, welcome back. Uh, we have a ton of people on hold. Yes, we do indeed. Should we take some calls? Sure. Let's see. This is. Uh, let's. How's this gonna work? Um, Wait, I, I okay. think. Okay, uh, nothing. That one there. Yeah, nothing's happening. Hang on. This one? No, no, no. The uh, no, the one there with the. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Here it is. Here it is. Hey, who's this? Hello. Hey, Merry Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas, caller. What's your name? Well, uh, my name is Ralph. Uh, hi, how you doing? I'm Ralph here. So, Ralph, where are you calling in from? Well, after hearing about your family travel problems, I hate to say... I'm pretty sure Ralph is calling from Chicago. Oh, so this is all your fault. Yeah, apparently so. Uh, well, Ralph, do you have a question, or do you want to tell us about one of your family traditions? All right, Scott. Uh, and Forrest, for years and years, going back as far as I can remember... Uh, my family's been collecting uh, Christmas tree ornaments. You know, you know the kind I'm talking about, right? Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, I mean, like every year, every person, you know, in my family, each person in my family, uh, we're talking going back before me and my brothers were born. Each person picks out an ornament for the family tree, and it kind of symbolizes something meaningful from that year. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So, like uh, off the top of my head, as an example, uh, we get. Uh, I'm looking at it now, by the way. Uh, there's a cello, cello okay. ornaments, and uh, that's from uh, when my sister played the cello in high school. Uh, she was terrible, but, uh, <laughs> but she has she has an ornament. And uh, ah, there's a fish. Uh, me and my pop went fly fishing once in Wisconsin in the early '80s. Okay, so that's a little memory of that. Uh, and we got hundreds. It takes up two trees. We got to get two trees every year to fit all the ornaments. So it's like it's it's a memory tree, I guess. I like that. We never called it that, Scott, but uh, we're, we're going to call it that now. So memory tree. Uh, each year we, we do it all at someone else's house. You know, we bring the trees with us uh, wherever we go. We bring the trees with us. It's a big party and everyone is there and it, it takes hours because there's so many stories to tell and remember. Oh, OK. All right. Well, so with all of those ornaments representing countless years of memories, What's the strangest ornament you have on the Christmas tree? Well, I'm so glad you asked, Forrest. Uh, and this might be applicable to your show, by the way, which is why I called in. Right at the top, right under the star, you got to start with the star, right? Yeah, of course. The star up top. Okay. Yeah. And then working down the star, there's a little glass UFO. Because uh, my cousins and I, back in college, we went camping in Joshua Tree. And, uh, well, we saw something in the sky. Really? Really? You saw a UFO? Yeah, I, I, I can't say that it was an alien spacecraft, but it was an unidentified flying object. <laughs> it was something in the sky. It was flying, and I didn't, we didn't know what it was. Okay. So that's technically a UFO, right? Yeah. But, you know, now that I think about it, there was missing time, you know, like gaps in my memory and stuff, but that that's for another show. I don't want to bother you with that. Well, that, that does happen, not necessarily in connection with a UFO sighting, but it, it seems to be a pretty common feature. Uh, uh, Ralph, we really, really appreciate your call. Hey, Scott, I hope the family gets home to Los Angeles good and safe in time for Santa. And uh, hey, Forrest, you have a good holiday yourself there, too. All right. Well, thank you very much, Ralph. Yes, thanks, Ralph. Uh, goodbye. Thanks for calling in. I tell you what, man, I'm feeling like this is going to work. Uh, well, maybe, yeah. These are interesting people so far. It's, it seems to be working. All right, let's go. Caller, you are live. Hello? You're live. You're on the air with Forrest and Scott. Hello? Anyone there? Wait, wait, wait. This is my fault. Hang on. Hang on. I'm going to oh, get this down in a second. I promise. All right. Yeah. All right, here we go. Here we go. This is it. Hello? Hello? 
Hello. Oh, ah, there we go. Oh, this is Jerry from Las Vegas. Oh, welcome to the show, Jerry. Yes, welcome, Jerry. Thank you. Hey, I, I, I've never done this before. I've never called into a show before, so it's, it's kind of strange. Well, it's nearly the first time for all of us then. <laughs> We've never <laughs> taken calls. All right, so uh, Jerry, first question, though, for, from us. How does one get into the Christmas spirit when you're surrounded by slot machines and and sand and and desert and a hundred degree <laughs> heat? Actually, uh, Vegas gets very cold in the winter, but uh, yeah, but there's no there's no white Christmases there. Yeah, well, so what do you guys do down there? Definitely no white Christmases in Las Vegas. Not not since there was woolly mammoths that were roaming around here. I think. Ah, right. The- <laughs> <laughs> they're they're uh, probably buried out by Treasure Island. Right. I mean, I think casinos. I think they discovered one a couple of years ago. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit while you're calling in? What's your background there? Well, I I uh, I grew up uh, pretty poor, so my mom worked um, most of the time worked two jobs, and uh, and they weren't great jobs. You know, it was just a really hard time. So my dad actually was a terrific uh, carpenter for many many years, and uh, and then when we were really little, and I guess I was about three or four, I, I think it might have been right before my sister was born, and uh, he uh, they had a bizarre accident on the site. He was uh, was disabled basically. He had to he had a lot of trouble, and it was a nail gun, and, and uh, he had a oh, injury, and he couldn't really couldn't really do the carpentry job anymore, and. Uh, I don't want to be. I don't want to be too gross here, but he had to deal with it. It was a, the nail went punctured his stomach actually, and he pulled it out really quickly. But since he didn't have health insurance or anything, this was you know many many years ago, and uh, he was you know working a non-union contract job on a construction site, and so when he pulled the nail out, it just was a little bit of blood. And so he thought, okay, no big deal. And he went home, and then a few days later, he got septic. And uh, oh. went in and had to, had had multiple surgeries, and it took years for them to kind of get him normalized. And he's still, you know, to this day, is, is not normal. But uh, but he's, he's you know he's alive. And uh, so it was mm-hmm. it was a lot of recoveries, a lot of hospital visits, and that actually taxed us out in terms of just money borrowing from all the family members. And it was a tough time. So, but I, I don't mean to bring everybody down here. So so he had that issue, and then my sister was born. So my mom had to work a lot. So we didn't. We didn't have a lot of food on the table. We kind of moved around a little bit for a while. Um, and I think they, they had they've been together for a couple of years before he got injured. So, But despite all of this, despite the disability and my mom working two jobs, and uh, we didn't have a lot for Christmas, but it was a, kind of a special time for us. And um, we, had, we never had a lot of groceries in the fridge, but, but right before Christmas, maybe a couple of days before, our fridge would fill up. And it would fill up like beyond anything that I had ever seen before, you know, especially as a kid growing up. And uh, my mom could make a lot of things go a long way in terms of cooking. And my dad was not a bad cook. He just couldn't stand to speak for very long until he had to sit down again. So we did all this. And uh, then she would make this unbelievable Christmas dinner. And uh, so by Christmas Eve, we would open our gifts on Christmas Eve. And it was only one or two gifts. It was not like a lot of gifts. It was like a necessity gifts, you know, gifts like pencils, you know, for school. I mean, it could be really small. Like our stocking stuffers were like small school supplies. And our big gifts would be maybe hiking boots. That would be like, that would be extravagant almost, hiking boots. Normally just be tennis shoes or something that would get us through, you know, another year or so at school. So that was every once in a while, you know, we'd get a bike, we'd get something decent, but it, that would be it. <laughs> it, would not be, it was never more than one or two special gifts and the rest was, was nothing. Now I know that this, again, this doesn't sound like this is a great Christmas story, but, but let me just tell you, my mom and dad, then Christmas would be all out. We had this amazing Christmas dinner and, um, we would just hang out as a family. And it was like the one time we could really be together. And they were really special times. Um, 
my dad would really push himself to be on his feet and to play with us and to, and to do his best that day. And it exhausted him, but that's what, that's what it was about. It was us hanging out with our mom and with our dad. She made an amazing meal with all the fixings in it. It's funny. She would make things that they all liked. My dad likes mainly and some of the other family members liked, but, but I never liked any of that stuff. The only thing I liked were those little Pillsbury rolls. So that's really all I wanted. I want to eat a million of those because that's the only time we ever got something like that. Oh, so, um, oh, yeah. so now, now I'm old enough and I can take care of my family, right? I, I can provide for my family and, uh, I have a good job and I have a wife and, and, and two daughters and, um, we have a great life. And so for our Christmas, instead of to honor my parents in the, in the amount of effort that they took in raising us a couple of days before Christmas, I start thinning out our, our fridge. I start leaning it out. And we, we volunteer at uh, it's a it's an organization here that, that does uh, food deliveries to seniors, and they do that year round all the time. It's called Hope Link. But before Christmas, it gets really crazy. They they need a lot of more volunteers, so we make these special uh, Christmas food boxes, and we deliver those on Christmas Day. And um, so we make those. So now I've got the whole family making these Christmas boxes. So we can make between all of us, we can make about 40. We make about 10 each. And my daughter's very good. She's actually faster than me at making these crazy food boxes. And so that's what we do on Christmas Eve day. We make a bunch of Christmas boxes. Then we go to the earliest candlelight service at our church, which is at 530. And then we open all of our Christmas gifts. And it's, it's a lot of gifts. It's very nice and and then the next day, we go and deliver those boxes. My daughter and I are really, we've been to, we've been to the three, we go to three or four every Sunday anyway. That's one of the ways that I honor my, my mother and father for Christmas. And that's how I celebrate it. It's pretty great, actually. Well, Jerry, that's a heartwarming story. Thank you so much for calling in. Yeah. It, it, and I think for those of us uh, who are lucky enough not to have faced a lot of hardship, I think you can confirm that you really never know what it's like till you're there yourself. And, what it's like to then get out of that. And it makes everything much more special. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that, uh, that the bad times give you information on how to deal with, with the good times, you know, it's like almost like a, a, a so that the, the good times are even sweeter. That's my point. Yeah, exactly. It's funny. I hadn't thought about it in a long time, Jerry, but, um, you know, I was, I was fairly poor when I was younger. My mom was a single mom raising me, and yeah. we lived in Denver, Colorado. We lived in, I remember, just like this dilapidated house that was behind an Arby's. Like, oh. you know, I always talk about, my son is sick of hearing it. I always talk about the house behind, <laughs> you know, when I was your age, I lived in a house behind Arby's. Has, has he you even know, had <laughs> Arby's yet? Um, yes, he's had it once on a recent cross-country trip. I see. My point is what Jerry's reminding me of here, and it's kind of, it's really nice thought, is how uh, even though we, we were really, really poor. Right. I yeah. remember, though, that Christmas was great. I don't have any bad Christmas memories. Some of the best ones right. I ever had. I remember my mom, you know, getting up in the morning one morning, and there was a model train, an HO model train, fully set up on the floor for me in the living room. Right. And that's one of the best Christmases I ever remember. And I, you know, I don't even know how she afforded that. She was like a secretary at a law firm in uh, downtown Denver, you know, supporting both of us on that meager income. It, I remember that those Christmases very fondly. And I, I want to thank you for telling us your story, because it actually reminded me of that. Yeah, you're welcome. I, well, I love the show. I can't listen as much as I'd like. I'm, I'm kind of behind, so i got to catch up. Well, thank you for calling in. Yeah, with our show, as long as they are, when you get behind, it can be intimidating to try and catch up. So uh, we wish you luck on right. that. Right. <laughs> All right. Thanks. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, on to our next call. Welcome to the Astonishing Legends Christmas Eve special. Hello. Hi, guys. Hi. Wait, this voice sounds familiar. Who is this? 
This is a familiar voice to you, Scott Philbrook. It's Rachel Dratch here, bringing you holiday cheer and love. Hey, Rachel. Good to talk to you again. Wow, this is like an actual celebrity guest appearance. It's like a real (laughs) Christmas special. I mean, when I heard there was an Astonishing Legends Christmas special, I had to call in immediately. (laughs) You did? Well, so uh, what kind of holiday traditions do you have going on at your house this year? How does it work around um, here? Let's see. I'm usually kind of like mellow on the holidays. Uh, Well, I, I have a a young child, so I can't be too mellow because he expects a lot of uh, Christmas celebration and read gifts. But anyways, um, <laughs> but yes, I feel kind of mellow about this. I do. We do Christmas and Hanukkah at my house because um, I'm Jewish. I grew up with just Hanukkah. My okay. kid, his dad is whatever. What do I call it? Right. He celebrates Christmas. Okay. So we, we're like a both family. But, you know, I got to say, Christmas is so much more fun that it's it's a little hard to sell Hanukkah when you have, like, Santa and trees and stuff like that <laughs> versus, versus potato pancakes. It's, like, not not a not a difficult contest there. But, um, but anyway, I try to just get a little bit of tradition going. So growing up, I didn't have a tree, but then, like, you know, I wasn't going to – I don't know. I just didn't feel like denying my kid the tree. So I started out with, like, a very little tree the first year. It was, like, the size of a potted plant just so I could – get my head around it and then every year the tree got a little bigger now now i have like a regular size tree going on so there was no yeah. tree in your life at christmas until he right. came along and that became a necessity yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. I sort of, but I, I gradually eased my way into the christmas <laughs> tradition you know it's cool it smells good it's fun to, it's fun to look at it but um i don't know i sort of like when i was growing up it was like this is you are Jewish. You don't have the tree. So I don't want to get all deep here, but it was um, on Astonishing Legends because it's probably not really what the show is usually. Usually, it's about ghosts and stuff. Anyway, but um, but yes, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and Happy Holidays to all. Oh my God, Rachel! Happy Kwanzaa too. I don't want to forget Quanta. Thank you so much for calling in. We really appreciate it. And uh, obviously, uh, people know they can find you. Uh, you were amazing on Saturday Night Live. You were in Wine Country on Netflix. Have you, are you working on anything yes. else right now, or what's going on? Oh, my gosh. I actually am. Yeah. But I'm trying to think of what. <laughs> um, oh, I'm on, I, I don't know, oh, yeah, so I'm on Shameless this season. Oh, cool. And um, Yeah, and I play, like, this bad guy, so it's kind of fun. It's off my usual, you know, track, sort of. Right, right, right. Just look for me. Look for me everywhere. Right. <laughs> You'll That's be everywhere. And I, may, I may have a ghost story to tell you, too. Oh. We would I love know. that. We would love that if you want to come on the yeah, show. Yeah, it's a ghost story. Well, I've only had one ghost sighting in my life. Yeah. But, um... It's, it was. It kind of has some eerie twist to it. So I'm not a person that's like, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of ghosts. Like, like I mean, the, because I've only had one experience, I take it seriously. So anyway, maybe I'll regale you with the tales of the Hollywood ghost that I saw. <laughs> um, <laughs> that sounds awesome. That's not very Christmassy though. But I just need to point that out and tie it into the show. Rachel, thank you so much for calling in. I know it's a busy time of year. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much for your time and uh, happy holidays. All right. Happy holidays, guys. I'll tell you what, that was a nice surprise, although yeah. I can't say it wasn't somewhat planned. <laughs> still, <laughs> still very nice, though. I really appreciated her calling in. It appears the show is going quite well for Scott and Forrest. 
Certainly, our host's mood have turned buoyant atop a feeling of optimism. The unscreened calls have been enlightening, sincere, and charming. Just as Forrest is about to take the next call, Scott receives a disheartening text from his wife. Uh, wait a sec. Hold on a sec. This, this is him. Let me check this. Oh, well, oh, hopefully they're boarding. Oh, great. Hold on. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, no. This is not good. Uh, now now the plane they're going to take is delayed. It hasn't even arrived at the gate mm. yet. And it's... I mean, it's not like we didn't know this could be an issue, but... Well, that's why I always like flying on Christmas Day compared to Christmas Eve, because the insanity is passed. You know, people are calm. They're almost sedated. Well, yeah, sure. They've given up on trying to get anywhere by Christmas. Mm. Yeah, this is true. Okay, I, I told her I'll call in a few when we take a break. Uh, should we say something like, uh, welcome to the Christmas whatever when we're picking up these you know, calls? Well, yeah, like, welcome to the Astonishing Legends Christmas Eve, or I guess just Christmas. Uh, well, I like Christmas Eve. All right, yeah, try that for now. If it's too much, uh, we can edit it out or ADR something later. All right, all right, sure. Here we go. Next caller, welcome to the Astonishing Legends Christmas Eve special. Hi, this is Carrie calling in from Houston. I was wondering if you wouldn't mind helping us settle a big debate in our house. Oh, that's great. You know, I actually I actually spent some time there. I have a friend that lives in Dallas, and his uh, family has a house on the Frio River. Do you know where that is? I do, yes. That? I've spent many a summer yeah. on the Frio River. Oh, my God. It was so awesome. The only thing I remember is that I went to meet him, and when we went there, we drove for what seemed like five years, and we yes. were still in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> it takes forever to get across this state, for sure. So what's what was your question? What's going on there? We are divided, um, very divided, on whether or not A Night Nightmare Before Christmas is a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie. So, all right, Carrie, that's a good question here. What is your take here? We're not going to be influenced by your, uh, by your answer, we promise. Well, I'm 100% on the side of A Nightmare Before Christmas being a Halloween movie. Mm. Ah, okay, Forrest, what do you think about that? Uh, well, it's interesting because, you know, this debate uh, about other movies as well rages all over the internet here. I was just uh, seeing something about Die Hard, you know, people arguing that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. And it got me to thinking, like, well, what about other movies? Well, that it is. Are... <laughs> it is. That, that shouldn't be a debate because it is. Well, no, there's, yeah. a, there's an important point here. <laughs> I'm just going to quickly go over, which I think will influence, certainly influences my answer, but it should also be a factor in how people think about this. Die Hard is really an action shoot 'em up movie. Lots of fun, explosions, people get killed. Not very Christmassy, but it happens to take place around Christmas. Christmas is it's a you could say it's a plot element, but Christmas is not a major player. It doesn't really factor in other than some set dressing, some props, this and that, and it's just the time of year that's picked for the movie that uh, is a little different, especially for an action thriller. But uh, Lethal Weapon also, I, I believe the first one, it takes place around Christmas time. It, it's an, it's a story element I see writers using. To set it in a different time and place, it's a little unusual. It's a little uh, against type and that we don't think about uh, bad guys and 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 shooting and, and, and killing all happening around Christmas. Nightmare yeah. Before Christmas, however, well, one, it has Christmas in the title. <laughs> That's the first thing. So it's a central yeah. element and and theme and that... Jack Skellington, the main character, is really trying to directly affect Christmas. He's he's buttoned in. He's doing his Halloween thing around Christmas time. And I believe, not to spoil it because I know you hate that, it even involves Santa. <laughs> in this case, I could say the answer really is both. It's both a 
Halloween and a Christmas movie. However, if you look at the theme and the feel of the movie, yes, it is more Halloween-y in that aspect. So to answer the question and answer the debate, you really have to ask what aspect of the movie A Nightmare Before Christmas are you talking about? The movie as a whole, because in the movie as a whole, yes, it really is both. But if you look at the theme and the feel of it, yeah, it's Tim Burton. So of course it's going to be more Halloween feel and more of a Halloween movie. So that's my answer. Halloween movie? That's your answer? No, I didn't say that. I said I, it's both. Oh. That's my answer. But I could see, oh, I could both see the answer is your being answer. both. Oh, yeah. come on with both. How do you solve a debate with both? The answer is both. Exactly. We have to live with the question. We're not helping carry out at all here. No, I, I mean, I, 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 what, I think it's I think it's a Halloween movie. <laughs> to me, it's a Halloween right. movie. It has some small Christmas elements into it, but I don't think I would... If I was watching it at Christmas, I would feel like I was watching something about Halloween. So my okay. answer is, it's a Halloween movie. So Carrie, I agree with you. Uh, thank you. I, <laughs> this helps a great deal. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> well, so I don't know. Uh, once the debate gets resolved, what's uh, what what's going to is everything going to pipe down there? Have you guys got some money on it, or what's happening? <laughs> Nothing that serious. It's just a healthy little debate <laughs> on the side. Well. Um, thank you so much for calling in. We appreciate it. We appreciate you listening to the show. And, uh, and uh, see, uh, this force, this caller show's working out okay, right? Uh, y- yeah, well, uh, for the most part. I mean, I, I don't know if it settles that debate or, or we're, we're going to argue <laughs> about it after the show here. But, uh, no, it's working out very well so far. Carrie, thank you so much for your call. Really appreciate it. It was a great question. I hope you find some resolution for the holidays. But thank you for calling in in the first place. Oh, thanks, you guys. I really appreciate you helping me out here. Listen, Merry Christmas, okay? Merry Christmas. Yes, Merry Merry Christmas Christmas and Happy Holidays to you and your family. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Well, that wasn't too bad. I think this is going pretty well, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right. Well, who's next? All right, here we go. Next caller. Hello, and welcome to the Astonishing Legends Christmas Eve special. I'm Melanie. Hi. Uh, hi, Melanie. How old are you? Nine and a half. Yes, nine and a half. You know, when you're at that age, you, you have to get that half in there. Very important. Are you excited about Christmas? Yes. Um. Can I tell you about our Christmas Eve tradition? Sure. We get to open one present on Christmas Eve. Oh, that's nice. Do you, do you get to pick it out yourself? No, my mom does. It's always pajamas. Oh, that's, yes, that's a subtle hint there. Well, does your mommy and daddy open a gift too? They want to know if you open a present. Uh, Melanie, are, are you there? Are you still there? My dad said to tell you he always gives my mom a gift, but not till after me and my brother go to bed. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> All right. Well, before this call goes any further, uh, thank you so much, Melanie, for calling in. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Oh, hey, Forrest, I got to take this. Hang on, it's him. Oh, hey, buddy, what's wrong? I know, I know. Don't worry. We're going to spend Christmas together, I promise. Dad is doing everything he can to get you home. That's all right. That's and all there goes time. Scott. Well, all right, let's uh, let's keep this moving here. Okay, next caller. Hi, this is Cindy Lou. Oh, hi, Cindy Lou. How are you? I have, like, a kind of sad Christmas story about when I was, like, a kid. Do you want to hear it? Okay, go ahead. So, like, this one Christmas Eve... Someone broke into our house dressed as Santa and stole literally all our presents. Really? Oh, that's terrible. And, like, they even took the tree and the ornaments. Like, he left literally nothing. Uh, okay. How do you know he was dressed like Santa? Um, because he 
he woke me up and like I came out of the room and like I saw him. Sure. He even took the roast beast and he was like green and icky and totally <laughs> hairy and it was so Well, thank you very much, Cindy Lou. I guess who was calling from Whoville, right? Okay. You know. <sighs> okay. Uh, did I miss anything? Oh, n- nothing much. Just a tragic holiday tale from a young girl from Whoville. Well, the new flight still hasn't arrived at the gate. On top of everything else, Emily's phone is about to die. I could look up to see if there's another standby flight for them, I guess. But I, I, I don't know. I, I just need a second to think this through. All right. Well, do you do you want to even continue with this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, we invited all these people to call, and they've been on hold all morning. But I, I just might have to see if I can fly there or within if something's within driving to, I, I don't know i'm just worried if this flight gets canceled or whatever we don't have a backup plan and time's running out you know uh, well all right well let's take a break and i can screen some of these calls uh while that's all going on how's that yeah that's it that's a good idea J- just for 20 minutes or so so let's let, let's stop william shakespeare mused about facing adversity in one's life in the following way Sweet are the uses of adversity, which, like the toad, ugly and venomous, wears yet a precious jewel in his head. Don't go away. In a moment, we will return to the Lost Christmas Eve special of the Astonishing Legends podcast. Hey guys, wishing you both a very big Merry Christmas all the way from Sydney, Australia. I'm Draz, and I'll see you in 2020. Hey, this is Vance. Happy holidays from Australia. Have an astonishing holiday season from the Osborne family in Phoenix, Arizona. Happy holidays from Joe in sunny SoCal, if you believe any of this at all. Hi, I'm Jason from Australia, and please have a very Merry Christmas. To my favorite cursory researchers, Merry Christmas, guys. This is Roselle, a.k.a. Mary Kelly from Sydney, Australia. I'm Whitney from Kansas, and I just like to say Merry Christmas and don't let Krampus get you. Astonishing holidays! Merry legends! Happy Happy Christmas! Welcome back to our special presentation, the Lost Christmas Eve special of the Astonishing Legends podcast. During the break, Scott received cheerful news. The connecting flight his wife and young son have been awaiting did arrive, and now his family is settled comfortably in seats 26A and B. Forrest, recognizing the assuredness in his co-host's demeanor and relaxed countenance, offers to share in a celebratory cup of eggnog. Scott graciously accepts. Oh, that's good. Ah, it's a Christmas miracle. Indeed it is. Cheers. Cheers to that. Okay, crisis averted. Uh, All right, Uh, are these the screen calls? Uh, Well, yes and no. I I mean, I I tried to screen, but unsuccessfully here. So uh, when I put the call back on hold, they would drop off the board, and then this would pop up. Yeah, I don't don't know what that means. Uh, It'll be fine. All right. Let's keep moving. Okay, well, you ready? (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. Um... Hello, and welcome to the Astonishing Legends podcast, uh, Christmas Eve special. Oh, sorry, I forgot to say that. <laughs> uh, hi, this is Benjamin. Hey, Benjamin, how you doing? What grade are you in, Benjamin? Fifth grade. Fifth grade, I see. Uh, is Santa still a big deal for you? It's not really that big of a deal, but it's really big on my little brother. He's into it a lot. Oh, I bet he is. Wh- what's on your mind, Benjamin? I was wondering if you knew um, where Rudolph came from. 
Oh, yes. Uh, the Ninth Reindeer. Good question. Okay, okay. I actually know this one. I, I got this one. I can answer this for you. Oh. As you know, I started my professional life as a commercial editor, and so I've picked up many legendary stories about advertising over the years, and this is probably one of the best. This is the longest-lasting thing to ever come out of advertising, I think. Back in the day, Montgomery Ward used to give out a free booklet to kids at Christmas. Every year they did this. They were giving away free things to kids at Christmas, and they had hired an outside company to do it, like a third-party company to handle that. Eventually, it was getting to be such a big deal that it was getting expensive, so they wanted to save some money, and they asked one of their in-house guys that was already on staff at Montgomery Ward, a copywriter, to come up with an original story. His name was Robert L. May, and this was in the year 1939 when he wrote Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That year, they gave out two and a half million copies for free of the booklet with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in it. You would think that that would just be relegated to the dustbin of history, but the story was so popular that they reissued it in 1946, but instead of giving it away, they put it up for sale, and they sold seven and a half million copies. And the rest is history. The song was actually written by May's friend, Johnny Marks, and that was eventually recorded by Gene Autry in 1949. So I, I'm so proud I got to answer a question. There's your answer, Benjamin. <laughs> Thanks for telling. That was interesting. Uh, thank you, Benjamin. Thanks for calling. Yes, thank you very much for calling. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Wow. So not only is 1939 the year of the Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, Snow White, and I think Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, but if that wasn't enough, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was born. Wow, it's a banner year. Yeah, and the, and the Nazis <laughs> invaded Poland. a lot of amazing stuff. Yeah, yeah that took a turn. <laughs> Merry hey, Christmas, everybody. It's, just, it's all part all of history. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they had a terrible one that year. Next caller. Welcome to the Astonishing Legends Christmas Eve special. Hi, Squire. Hey, how are you? Hey, everybody. It's Maya Rudolph. Oh, my God, Maya. It's so great to hear from you. Thank you so much for calling in. Oh, it's so exciting to be calling in on your show. It's been a long time, and it's good to catch up with you, and it, especially at this special time of year. I, You know what? Since you're here, I would love to know any kind of special holiday traditions or anything that you do in your house around this time of year. Well, I'm glad you asked that because my... Kids love Happy Rudolph's New England molasses and orange zest snickerdoodles. Those sound delicious. So what goes what goes into them? It's not an elaborate cookie. It's like, you know, a couple sticks of butter, flour, brown sugar, a pinch of salt, a tablespoon of like real molasses. Because you need the, you know, you need the real molasses. Oh, yeah. Everything about what you just said sounds good. You know, you use the flour and so you make sort of like a dark roux with that. Okay. Gotcha. You know, you like, you slowly add like some brandy, you know, just to make it kind of like that nice holiday spice. Or I like to use like a Bloody Mary mix for color. Just so, you know, kind of, it, it, it cooks off. And like a garam masala, you know, like a nice garam okay. masala with that brown kind of rich color. You can do a, um, a a canned clam or a canned oyster. Ah, are we still making cookies? Most oyster would actually, the final ingredient that most people are surprised by, that I think is really what gives it this sort of like earthy texture, is, is bok choy. Okay. And then just like a just like a like a tablespoon of vitamin D, because I feel like this time of year people are getting sick. Okay. And you and you've seen them actually eat them, your your kids. Yes. Okay. Okay. I'll put like 20 on a plate and I'll leave the room. And when I come back, the whole plate's empty. And I'm like, wow, they ate this fast. Yeah. Uh, t tell me about Pappy Rudolph. Who was, who was Pappy Rudolph? Where did this recipe come from? 
Pappy Rudolph was a pretty amazing guy. Who, okay. He was incarcerated three times. Oh. Um, oh. For the same thing. Grand Theft Auto. Okay. Um, interesting guy. Really interesting guy. It's just so kind of you to call in and share this family recipe with Aww. us and tell us your story. We really appreciate it. It's so nice to share, you know, around the holidays, family family traditions and well, each other. Yes, and I, you know, are currently uh, Emily and uh, Rowan are stuck at the airport in Denver, so I'm hoping they'll get back soon. I, I can't wait to see them for the holidays. So, yeah. I know it's not going to be it's not going to be the same without them. I've you guys have to be together. It won't be Christmas any other way. Well, Maya, thank you so much for calling in. I really appreciate it. I hope that you have a, a great year next year, and we just can't thank you enough. Oh, love you, love you so much, and have a wonderful um, rest of the holiday and and, and a great twenty twenty. It's gonna be a good. One. All right, thanks, thanks. I'll talk to you soon. Happy holidays to you. Okay. Thanks for calling. Bye. Ooh, man, Forrest, we got two celebrities on the hotline there. Yes, we did. Absolutely. Big ones, big names here. Yeah. Well, should we take another call? Absolutely. All right, here we go. Hello, and welcome to the Astonishing Legends Christmas Eve special. Hi, uh, this is Phoebe. Hey, Phoebe. Hello, Phoebe. This is always a tough time for me. I lost my dad several years ago on Christmas, and um, it's always a little tough. Oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. Uh, well, forgive me, but, but what happened? No, uh, talking about it actually, it actually makes it better. So, I was nine years old. Me and my mom were decorating the tree, waiting for dad to come home from work. A couple hours went by, dad wasn't home. So, um, mom called the office. No answer. Christmas Day came and went, and still nothing Oh my gosh, I can't imagine. Then we started noticing the smell. Oh, the smell, of course. (laughs) Well, for anyone who doesn't know what just happened there, this young lady was recalling a famous monologue from the movie Gremlins. (sighs) Yeah, Phoebe, as Uh. told by Phoebe Cates. (laughs) All right, moving on. Well, I I am glad to get a call from Phoebe Cates. That wasn't Phoebe Cates. That's the whole point. Well, I'm just pretending. Somebody pretending to be Phoebe Cates. (laughs) So I wish Phoebe Cates would call in. Yeah. Well, I I would take a prank from Phoebe Cates any day. (laughs) I'm sure you would. Merry Christmas, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's a beloved. Uh, I guess you would call it a Christmas movie. That's uh, part of what we were talking about before. And that it takes place around Christmas. Well, here's just a few facts about the movie Gremlins, which is still a fan favorite here. It was directed by Joe Dante in 1985, who also directed The Howling. And we've had a a tiny, tiny bit of interaction with Dee Wallace. So I'm I'm kind of proud of that, too. (laughs) That's right. That's right. She's uh, we talked to her on Twitter a few times. It was a great film. It's a cult classic here. I think a large part because it was a Steven Spielberg production as well. Gremlins, as well as Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, were largely responsible for the MPAA for issuing the PG-13 rating. I don't know if you knew that. No, I didn't know that. That's interesting. And did you further know who played the voice of Gizmo? I actually never really thought about that, (laughs) now that you (laughs) mention it. It will make sense when I tell you. It was Howie Mandel. Okay, yeah. moving on, <laughs> moving on. All right. Oh, please. It's from Emily. Heading back to the gate, pilot says there's oil oil pressure warning. Are you kidding oh. me? How could, how could this be happening again? Oh, man, Scott, I'm sorry. 
Alright, all right, let's let's just move forward. Uh, hello, caller. We thought maybe it was a dead cat or a bird. <laughs> nope, nope. No, thank you. Uh, hello, welcome to the Astonishing Legends Christmas special. Oh, uh, the smell was coming from the chimney, so we called No, them. good God. How, uh, <laughs> Wait, hold on. Uh, what is happening uh, here? I, I don't know. No, I don't know. Really? Let me what, try did, another one. Did you that's that's got to be the last of them. How is she even able to do that? Like, I, she's better at making phone calls than I am at answering them that's with the right. software. I'll tell you what. Do you want to take a break now? Uh, uh, no. Emily's going to call in when she gets back to the gate. Hopefully they can fix it and move on. Uh, hello. Welcome to the Astonishing Legends podcast. This is a terrible connection. It's just, this must be something on our end, right? No, no. I mean, it kind of sounds like it's a cell phone that's kind of on the edge of reception or, or getting a signal. Excuse me. Uh, excuse me, sir? Sir? Forrest, can you try to turn me up, piping me up? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I, I don't think I can hear us. Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't think he can hear us either. Hello, excuse me. It's really hard. It's really hard to make out what you're saying. Uh, no, you know, he could be a long-haul trucker on the road. Sir, sir, what's your name? Can you hear us? I think we can make a safe descent into Denver just in the nick of time. Fact is, Rudolph's nose is coated in ice, so we need to stop for a defrost anyway. I think he said his name is Rudolph, <laughs> but I, I really can't tell. Well, that's appropriate at least. We're here, but it's a really bad connection. Just just call back if you can. Can you hear me? Hello? All right, drive safe. That's eh, too bad. He seems kind of cool. Yeah, well, it sounds like he's trying to make it into Denver in time while your family is trying to get out of Denver in time. Yeah, exactly. All right, all right on to the next call. Hello? Oh, uh, well, uh, hello there, fellas. Uh, okay, you see, my, my name is George. Uh, welcome to the show, George. Now, mm. okay. Yes, thank welcome. You. Now, now, now listen here. See, okay. Uh, many years ago, I was hopeless, and and, and I tried to I try to end my life on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Wait, hold on. I, I I think I know where this is going. Uh, yeah, here we go. Here we go. No, I don't know if you do know because <laughs> when I was a young man, okay, growing up in Bedford Falls, I, I wanted to be an explorer, okay. But instead, I took over my father's building and loan. See, so my little brother Harry, he could so he could go to school. Then one day, an old man, old man Potter, you see, he wanted to buy me out. <sighs> Thank you, George. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> no, 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 you gotta hear me out. You gotta hear me out. Goodbye, George. Uh, no, I was gonna wait to see uh, how the angel saved his life, <sighs> Clarence. There. <laughs> Did you? I'm sure you had that part of the story loaded up. You know what? I don't mind that if somebody's if he's calling in and having a little fun with us because at least he he had his story down and and the and the voice was pretty good. Yeah. So you did a little preparation. I, I you know I don't care for the lazy prank. Yeah. <laughs> Let somebody be prepared. Uh, but here's a here's an interesting side note. You know that that scene he was talking about when George Bailey's about to thinking about jumping into the water into that freezing ice cold water to end his own life. That scene was actually filmed in July, and all that, that big snowstorm there, that was soap flakes. Oh, well, thanks for that. There's something I was wondering about. <laughs> uh, seriously? Force, yeah. is, there, is there no way to screen these? Hey, I, I, look, I don't know. You know, every time I try to put someone on hold, the line drops. And then for whatever reason, Facebook calls my mom. I know everyone on hold can hear the show. And if you're calling just to prank us, it's really unfair to everybody else. 
I don't want to be that guy, but it's not cool. It's Christmas Eve for crying out loud. Have a little mercy on us. Whatever. Let's jump around on the board here. Let's try line uh, 10. Welcome to Astonishing... But it wasn't a cat. Uh, It was my dad dressed up as Santa for Christmas. Oh, my God. You've got to be kidding me. How how can that be? Uh, All right. All right. Let's take five. (sighs) Go ahead. You're on the Astonishing Legends podcast. Where are you calling from? Uh, This is Gordon. I'm calling from West Virginia. Hello. Hello, Gordon. Thanks for Uh, calling. So, uh, Mothman country, right? Yeah. What's on your mind, Gordon? Nothing really. I just, I just want to say I'll be home for Christmas. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> home, home is good. Uh, I tell you, there's no place like home for the holidays. I couldn't agree more. I'm, I'm hoping that, um, that and my we family... wish you a merry Christmas. Well, merry uh, Christmas to you too, Gordon. Do you, do you have uh, any family traditions or that you want to talk about? Or I hope you have yourself a merry little Christmas. <laughs> We're trying, <laughs> in spite of the circumstances. Uh. Santa Claus is coming to town. <laughs> uh, yes, he is uh, for most of us. So, Gordon, do you actually have a favorite holiday tradition? I say, hang on for a second. Do you hear what I hear? Does who hear what? No, come on, Scott. Uh, hold on a second. You 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 understand what he's doing, right? These are all lyrics to Christmas songs that he's 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 messing with us here. Baby, it's cold outside. I can't believe this is just a total bust at this point, Forrest. I, this is a total mess. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, no, but seriously, seriously, guys. Did I tell you my grandma got run over by a reindeer? Goodbye, Gordon. <laughs> seriously, <laughs> what is going on? What? This is what we get, I guess. This uh, is what we get. Well, apparently, we're being ambushed by some very sophisticated prank callers who had this plan. I mean, it's obviously, it's orchestrated. I, well, you know what? We're going to try a few more, but I'm like, I'm over. Hello. Welcome to the Astonishing Legends Christmas Not-So-Special. Nose is down. Radar shows a moderate chop coming in over the panhandle. Hello? Hello? Is this better? Oh. Uh, hello, can you hear me? Sir, what's what's his name? We're on a southern approach into Denver, so maybe you can hear me better. It's Rudolph. Here. Sir, sir, we really can't hear you. You're you're coming in and out. If you can hear me, tell your family not to worry that Santa has a plan. I think he's trying to say something about my family. That's not cool. Yeah, I can't make it out. Because I'm going to Sure, you have a Merry Christmas after all. Without Rudolph's flight, they won't be able to see us on our final descent, so eyes to the skies at all times. <laughs> uh, well, Merry Merry Christmas to you too, sir. I'm kind of glad that's over. Uh, he said something about a final approach or descent or something. I don't know. Uh, I, I hope not. I mean, whatever. That, that family thing kind of creeped me out. Well, he seemed earnest. Earnest and weird. Oh my gosh, it's it's him. I got. I gotta take this. Please, please, please hang on. Hey, where are you? Okay, and you're sure they said that flight isn't leaving today? Is there? Uh huh. No, I'm. I'm so. I'm so sorry. I'll do everything I can. I will figure something out. Yeah, force this right here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Save your battery. Save your battery. Okay. All right. Love you. Oh, that didn't sound good. No, I do we do we have any more eggnog in the house? <laughs> I think we do. Christmas Eve will find me where the love light gleams. I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams. We'll be right back with the conclusion of the Lost Christmas Eve special of the Astonishing Legends podcast. 
This is Emily Votaw wishing you happy holidays from Mothman Country. This is Autumn wishing everyone a happy holidays from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Shinatharian from Olivia, currently in New Jersey, but usually in Ohio. G'day, this is Jai from Perth, Western Australia, wishing you a Merry Christmas. This is Amelia Cotter from Chicago, Illinois, wishing you happy hauntings and holidays. This is Francis from the Philippines, and I would like to greet you Maligayang Pasko at Manigong Bagong Taon. Hi, this is Kira from Birmingham, Alabama. Happy eating season! Happy, happy Christmas that can win us back to the delusions of our childhood days Recall to the old man the pleasure of his youth and transport the traveler back to his own fireside and quiet home. And now for the conclusion of the Lost Christmas Eve special of the Astonishing Legends podcast. So, you, you want to continue? Um, not really, man. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. I get it. it. It's just a day, you know? There'll be others. Mostly like they'll, they'll probably get out, I don't know, sometime tomorrow night. It's not, it's, it's our fault for cutting it so close. And we do that kind of stuff all the time. It's, it's just a day. Well, I, I know it, it's just a day. Yeah. But then again, it really isn't just a day. Christmas means something. And even in all the rush and planning, it, it means something to you. And that's why this sucks. It's a day. We all agree for the most part to set aside some time for the things in life that are supposed to transcend our personal ambitions to just focus on friends and family and giving and sharing and being charitable and selfless. And look at what this day has survived. The fall of empires, the uprising of people, reformations and revolutions. People like that idea of a day that represents good things. Even if you aren't a deeply religious person or religious at all, it's a time of year where we celebrate the better part of ourselves. And that's why it's so special. And that's why it sucks when we face hard times or challenges or losses around this time. We can pretend to be cynical or above it all, but we know deep down there's something special in the air. It's almost magical. I'm, uh, I'm going to pack a bag and see how far I can get. What? D- to Denver? That's a long haul, Scott. You know M is not going to like the idea of you trying to be a hero. If I leave in an hour, drive straight there, just stop for gas and bathroom breaks, that, that puts me there around 3 tomorrow. <laughs> no. Oh, my gosh. That's like, uh, that's a 20-hour drive. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You, Scott, you can't do that alone, all right? If that's what you're going to have to do, then I, I'm coming with you. Forrest, dude, I can't let you do that. I can't no, let you. have right. got plans, man. It's I'm not going right. to make Look, you go I can, I can still do my plans, but... I, just think about it, man. If something happens, you know, I, look, I, I'm coming. It's all right. I'm coming with you just to keep you away. And it's going to ruin both our Christmases. Either way, I don't think I'm up to continuing with this show. I don't think it's really working. I mean, I feel bad for all those people on whole, but I don't. If the past is any predictor, they're mostly all pranksters anyway. And, and this is your family. Yeah. Let's clear all the calls. I agree. I can't. I can't. All right. Don't worry about it. Uh, I shut down all the calls. They're all gone. All done. When did it get so complicated? I mean, as a kid, you know, Christmas just happened. It was magic. You had no idea all the <laughs> intricate planning was involved. Well, it is magic. It's, it's sleight of hand, to be exact. I, you know, I never asked you this, man. As a kid, what was your favorite Christmas memory? Probably when I was fighting the Battle of the Bulge in Belgium. <laughs> it might be the first time that, uh, as a kid, a real little kid, of course, I thought I caught Santa, or I thought I heard Santa laying down some presents. So I had, uh, I had drawn a picture of the three wise men and, and I taped it to the fireplace 
uh, mantle and just for him. And I woke up to the sound of Christmas ornaments clinking and some rustling in the living room. And I knew I couldn't run in there, of course, because that would spoil the whole thing. So I just had to uh, intently listen from bed as Santa, I knew, was picking up my picture and laying down some presents. And of course, in the morning, I ran out there and, and the picture was gone. And that was magic to me. He existed. He took my picture and he gave me some presents in return. That's pretty awesome, man. <laughs> That's a really great story. What is? It's pretty. It happens to every kid. It's funny, you know, when I look back on Christmas, when I, when I was about nine years old, I, I had lived in Denver up until prior to that. And then when I was nine or so, I moved to North Carolina where I had a lot of extended family. And for Christmas, we didn't do anything at our individual houses. We all went to my grandmother's house. And it was so exciting. And she had a big den with a big cathedral ceiling and this gold shag carpet that had to have like a two inch pile on it. It was just amazing. And the, just the excitement of getting over there and all of us being there in this huge tree with so many presents that like there would be, the room was big enough that it was one of those situations where it had the couch and then behind the couch was like an eight foot tree with two chairs, but you couldn't even see the chairs because there were so many presents for all the uh, grandchildren and cousins and nephews and aunts and uncles. It was amazing. And it's, it was almost like it didn't even matter if you got a present. You didn't care about that. It was everything was about that moment when you all get in there, when everyone's talking and laughing and you're so excited just about everyone being together and everybody getting presents. And then, you know, that frenzy begins of unwrapping things. And, and that's really amazing too. It's, it's never about what you're actually opening. It's more about what you're doing with your family at that moment. And, and that's, the, that's the most special part of the memory. I can't remember anything I got. What? Not true. There was a, there was an Intellivision. There was an Intellivision, I remember. I didn't even ask for it. I didn't ask for it. And when I opened it, my mind was completely blown. Well, that's completely the best, blown. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Plus it's Intellivision. Yeah. Come on, man. That was the state of the yeah. art back then. Yeah. It yeah. was, uh, it was amazing. Anyway. Oh, that's nice. Well, all right. Well, should we break it down? Yeah. Yeah. We need to, we need to pack up here. I, I want to at least check again for any flights. It, not that I'm hoping for anything, but I, I want to at least check. Huh. Well, that's odd. What? Well, there's a call. Oh, it just came in on line six. Take, take a look. See, the light is green. I thought you disconnected the board, though. Well, I did. Well, I guess I thought I did. Uh, wait a second. I'll, I'll do it again. Uh, and I will... Let me unplug the cable here, just to be sure. Great. Whatever. I'm going to put all the cables in the back here. Uh. Huh, what? Uh-huh. Take a look at this. It's still there? No, it's back. Well, try and... Did you no, try yeah, and I know. Just... I cleared it again. Okay. See, it's gone, right? Okay. All right, cool. Uh, listen, we got to break down the mic stands because we're huh. going to have... Huh, what this time? No, huh, it's back. Take a look, man. Line six, it's lit up again. Yeah, that's, that can't be. Is this hackable? Hackable? No, the cable isn't even connected. Well, all right, the, the power's still connected, but I, I just took out the USB cable. But this doesn't make sense. Maintain altitude, my friends. Dasher, watch out for traffic. Rudolph got from early. <laughs> yeah. Sir, sir, I'm so sorry, but we're not taking any more calls. We've had a little emergency that we got to deal with now. I know all about it. Scott, you have my word. You will spend Christmas with your... Look out! What was that? What was that? Oh, I think it was a 737. Hard to tell these days. <laughs> all, right, all right, now now I get it. It's just another prankster. This time, pretending to be Santa. Oh, for crying out loud. Goodbye.
Yeah, I'm not in the mood for that right now. I, I was thinking we should put all the mics together instead of putting the ones in the one case. Mm. Santa's back. Really? <laughs> yeah, he's back. Hello, who is this? Scott, as crazy as it sounds, I'm Santa Claus. Chris Kringle, who's Saint Nick? Look, I don't know who you are or how you're getting through, but we're dealing with a family crisis here, and I'd appreciate some privacy. Thank you. Merry Christmas, jerk. Another time, this would be charming, you know, but but not right now. Not right oh, now. It's back. Well, unplug the cord, man. Disconnect <laughs> the power for crying out loud. Scott, I, I did. I did. That's impossible. Scott, in all fairness, the whole point of this show is shedding light on the possible within the seemingly impossible. I'm taking the call. I'm going to let it play out just to see. Like, hello, Santa? Oh, hello, so you're calling him yeah, Santa. There, Great. Boris? Is that you? <laughs> We're listening. You're listening. I'm annoyed at this point. Now, now, don't hang up on me, or else I'll give you a bad case of Jingle Toe and Hollywood. This is ridiculous. Santa has a special holiday surprise for Scott, so listen up, and listen up good. Forrest, if you want to listen to this, that's fine. I'm packing up. You see, old Saint Nick didn't survive the last millennia without a little magic. Mischief and misdirection. What I've been trying to tell you, Scott, if you would let me, is that old Santa was able to direct my team into Denver and pick up a lost package for you. <laughs> Just in time, too, <laughs> because that's what I do. Here, my boy, say hello to your father. Forrest, I am not joking around now. We're cutting this guy off. He's playing around with my fan. It's not cool. Hello, Dad? Ro, is that you? Hey, Dad, it's me. Where where are you, son? Who are you with? I'm with Santa. He's so awesome. He said he'll give me extra presents when we land. Where Where's your mom? She's right here. Your mom is there sitting right next to you. Yeah, she's right next to me. Let me speak to her immediately. Here, Mom. Dad wants to talk with you. Dad doesn't believe me, of course. He never believes me. Hey, sweetie. Hey, what's going on? Where are you? We're with Santa! Okay, this is some sort of prank, right? Well, if it is, it's a real good one, y'all. Are you okay? No, I'm not okay. I'm freezing! When we left Raleigh this morning, I wasn't exactly dressed for a sleigh ride over the Sierra Nevadas. Although I'm pretty sure this box next to me from Bloomies is a coat, but Santa won't let me open it. I, I don't understand, Em. What's, what, what is going on? I don't understand. Don't overthink it, Scott. Just be happy we're coming home. Besides, it will all become clear in just a few minutes. How's that? When we land this beastly contraption in the front yard. See you in a few, honey. I'll be right back. Wait, wh where are you going? I gotta move the recycling bins out of the driveway. A have you ever seen a reindeer? They're huge! There's eight of those things. Nine. Whatever. Forrest, are you there? Have I lost you? Yes, Santa. I'm going to say goodbye to you, good man, but before I do... <laughs> Whoa! Holy mittens! Prancer just sent me a Christmas card, if you know what I mean. Me think my boy's packing a Yule log. <laughs> wow, need to get back on that grain-free diet. <laughs> That's a little bitter. <laughs> Forrest, are you still there? Yes, Santa, I'm still here. You're coming in loud and clear. To all within the sound of my voice, and to all who are with them in spirit, May success be with you and everything you do. May the melody and spirit of the holidays fill your home with love and peace. And may you 
never want to grow up so much that you stop looking towards the heavens on Christmas Eve. I wish you all the best holiday, <laughs> no matter how you celebrate, and Happy New Year! Los Angeles in sight! Noses down, boys! Mind the power lines and recycling bins! <laughs> It is said that Christmas is not in tinsel and lights and outward show. The secret lies in an inner glow. It's lighting a fire inside the heart. Goodwill and joy a vital part. It's higher thought and a greater plan. It's glorious dreams in the soul of man. We'll be right back with a final message from Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. This is Vic. Felices fiesta from Buenos Aires. I'm Anna Michaels from Illinois, and I'd like to wish everyone a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and Spectacular 2020. Hi, this is Sandra Hall. May the ghost of Christmas past leave you nothing but the jolliest of EVPs. Merry Christmas to everyone from Micah in Oklahoma, but especially to my wife, Emma. Hi, this is Matt Drew, curator of mysteries. And when I'm not keeping an eye out for Krampus, I'm listening to Astonishing Legends. Now back to the show. Well, folks, thank you so much for joining us for our first and last ever long-lost holiday call-in special. Is it the last? Uh, we shall see. Hmm. We shall see. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoyed this one. Mess that it was. From the bottom of our hearts to all of you out there, we wish you the happiest of holidays and a happy new year. Stay tuned after the credits for a special reading of Twas the Night Before Christmas. The Lost Christmas Eve special of the Astonishing Legends podcast was written and directed by Travis Aiken. Our show is edited by Sarah Voorhees Wendell and co-produced by Tess Feifel, who is also our head of research. Our theme, which is available as a ringtone, was composed by Judson Crane, and our sound design and additional composing is by Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to John Bolin. Special guest performances in order of appearance include Andrew Sherman as the narrator, Craig Kakowski, Rachel Dratch, Hazel Schaffer, Maya Rudolph, and Jeremy Rowley. Special thanks to Travis Aiken for additional editing, and a very special thanks to Akiva Schaffer and Liz Kakowski as well. Additional voices provided by Sarah Ann Adams and Maggie Reith Austin of TheMonthlyJunk.com, Benjamin Aiken, Travis Aiken, and Gordon Smallwood. And don't forget Jerry Browning, Trish Burdick, and Emily Spivey. That's my mom. Finally, Rowan Philbrook. That's me. Happy Holidays. "'Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house "'Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. "'The stockings were hung by the chimney with care "'in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. "'The children were nestled all snug in their beds "'while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. "'And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap "'had just settled down for a long winter's nap.' When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow 
gave the luster of midday to objects below. When, what to my wondering eye should appear, but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer, with a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles, his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now, Dasher, now, Dancer, now, Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blitzen, to the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So up to the housetop the coursers they flew, with a sleigh full of toys, and St. Nicholas too. And then, in a twinkling, I heard on the roof, the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. As I drew in my hand and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard of his chin was as wide as the snow. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk and laying his finger aside of his nose and giving a nod up the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim, ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night.